Welcome to Crosswords, the podcast about practical Christianity. What does it look like to walk in Jesus' footsteps? How do I live in a culture hostile to godliness? These are questions that we'll answer on each podcast as we get our heart and mind on Jesus. All scriptures quoted are from the New International Version. You can follow me on Twitter at Kingdom underscore Saint. Walk with the Lord today and be a blessing. Today, we're going to start with remarriage, which is our last leg on our Bible study. So uh, maybe I know we're not, I'm not going to be covering everything in this class. So maybe we're going to have one, maybe I, I, I suspect three more classes on this topic. And then we're done and we're moving on to our next Bible class topic. So let's get right into it. Remarriage. Now, that's a word that you're not going to really find in the Bible. Uh, remarriage, as we have branded it, it's not really a biblical term. We don't find that concept uh, or that even that word in the Bible. The Bible just simply talks about marriage, whether it's the first marriage or the second or the third. It's just marriage. It's not remarriage. So we want to learn to call Bible things by Bible name. Uh, and remarriage, uh, or getting married again, I'm, I'm still going to use that term remarriage, it's what we know. Uh, it occurs, it happens, whether it's permissible or not, whether it is moral or not to do so, it's something that people do. It was even happening among the Jews as early as when the law of Moses was put into effect. Even Jesus recognized the other union as a marriage, as we see here in Matthew Ninety-nine, He says, except for sexual, I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality and marries another. So he didn't use that word remarries, but he just says marries another woman, commits adultery. Uh, we already saw in Deuteronomy 24, 1, 1 through 3, how God considered getting married again as no less than a marriage. Uh, the same responsibilities were in effect, same vows were in effect, same expectations were in effect, whether it was the first time around, or the second time around, or the third time around. Now, though the marriage of a divorced person may indeed begin with an act of adultery, once that old marriage has been dissolved, once it has been broken, and the new one has been consummated, there's no evidence in the language of the law of Moses or even from Jesus to indicate that that new marriage is any less binding than the old one was. It's simply a marriage. Yes, a person who gets divorced for any reason, barring adultery, commits adultery. That's for sure. And that person is guilty of adultery. They need to seek forgiveness from the Lord as with any other sin they have committed, whether it's hatred, lying, stealing, divorce, they need to make themselves right before God. They need to confess that they need to acknowledge it. They need to confess it. And the same goes for the person who committed adultery and broke up the marriage. If the person is penitent and seeks to be reconciled to the Lord, then he will be forgiven. 
just like any other sin. Divorce is not a sin that is above any others. It's not an unforgivable sin, as I had said last time. As the church, our job is to support brethren and others that may be going through difficult times like these. Comfort them as any other penitent person who seeks to be right with the Lord, as we would do with them. It's been my experience for the last 30 years that those who are not penitent about their divorce, about their adultery, they're not really interested in living right with the Lord, and we don't even see them anymore. They just leave the church, some of them for good. They don't really go to any other church. Some of them do try to go to some other church, maybe at that other congregation. They'll seek to be penitent. They'll seek reconciliation, and so it's up to the brethren there. And really up to us if they've done that to comfort them and to assure them of our love in the Lord. And remember that God's law of marital union is part of a body of natural law, which he set into motion since the beginning. And so it's going to work automatically without regard to sin or righteousness. Divorce usually happens, like I said in the last class, because of sin. But I want you to understand that marriage is never described as a sin. The sin that Jesus talks about here in Matthew 19 and other similar passages is the act of adultery and breaking a marriage to marry somebody else. Right? Breaking a marriage uh, is where the sin is at. Marrying itself does not necessarily constitute a sin. It's the attitude in which that other marriage was to be taken by committing adultery in their first marriage. That's where the sin really is. As a matter of fact, one of the demon doctrines described by Paul concerns the prohibition of marriage, as we see here in 1 Timothy 4, 1, 2, and 3. It says, the Spirit clearly says that in later times, some will abandon the faith, follow deceiving spirits, Things taught by demons. Such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. They forbid people to marry and order them to abstain from certain foods which God's created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and who know the truth. So we understand from this revelation given by Paul that the prohibition of eating some foods or the prohibition of marriage are hallmarks of demonic doctrine. So let's examine this phrase that sometimes is used uh, in our conversation concerning remarriage, living in adultery. Some describe the remarriage of someone after committing adultery as living in adultery. However, this phrase is not found in the Bible. And so what is this? This living in adultery is a concept that a person who has been divorced unscripturally, unscripturally and marries another one unscripturally is actually committing fornication over and over and over and over with their new spouse. The thing is that in this kind of... Uh, this kind of phrase is really not found in the Bible. And not only that, the use of those adjectives, scriptural marriage. Oh, 
it was that a scriptural marriage was that a scriptural divorce oh no no it was an unscriptural marriage it was an unscriptural divorce uh that's not how the bible talks about it there is no scriptural or unscriptural divorce or marriage it's just marriage or divorce uh, the adjective scriptural or unscriptural that some may add, or even the use of the word remarriage, all that, you know what's really saying? It's conveying an idea that the marriage or the divorce was done by the scriptures or not, but in reality, it's, an, it's just added to convey a different doctrinal viewpoint that we don't see in the scripture. And that's why the emphasis is made. The scriptures don't make such an emphasis. If you find it, if any of you find it, please let me know. Uh, what we see here uh, in Matthew 19.9, which is what I have here, is Jesus saying, anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another woman commits adultery. No translation of the Bible says keeps on committing adultery. It's a one-time event. He commits adultery. She commits adultery. The idea keeps on committing adultery is not conveyed in the original language, and it's not even conveyed in any translation that I have read. If you find a translation that conveys that, please let me know. I'm not trying to defend divorce here. That's not what I'm doing. Of course not. We're not to encourage it. And we understand that God hates it. But we want to make sure that we're calling Bible things by Bible names and that we're not supporting ideas or viewpoints that God wouldn't like the prohibition of marriage because that's what it can turn into. So let's talk a little bit about the Greek in Matthew 19, 9. Luke 16, 18, Mark 10, 11, and 12. These are the three passages that has Jesus say, anyone who gets uh, divorced except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. That's what those passages say. And so the tense, the Greek tense in those passages is what we call the present aorist tense. And what does that mean? The aorist tense is a tense that refers to punctiliar action. That means an action at a point in time. Uh, it's like a quick action uh, of the present tense. Uh, the present tense doesn't refer to an ongoing action that began some time ago and continues going on into the present. This punctiliar action refers to a quick action that just happened and it's over, and it's done with. I'll give you an example. If we look at Acts 9.34, where it says, Aeneas, Peter said to him, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up, roll up your mat. And immediately Aeneas got up. So in this verse, the highlighted portion here, heals you. That's in the Greek aorist present tense. Now notice that Peter declares Aeneas experiencing healing in the present and immediately and complete. The action was a very short duration, so the present tense doesn't mean 
that it's going on, that it's ongoing, or that it will continue to go on until a certain point in the future. It would be incorrect for us to assume that this text would say that Jesus is healing you, implying that it's continuing, implying that maybe the healing is not totally done yet. It, it requires a little more time. We don't know how much time, but it requires some time. And it certainly doesn't mean that Jesus continuously heals you into the future. It's just simply punctiliar action. Jesus has healed you. It just happened. It was done. It is complete. Right, so I'll leave it up to there. Uh, I still have a lot more to say, but we're going to talk about it in the next class. Thank you very much for listening. I hope the Lord gave you insight into conforming to Jesus with today's message. I always appreciate feedback. You can send me your thoughts, musings, and comments directly through the Anchor app. You can also contact me on Twitter at Kingdom underscore Saint. Walk with the Lord today and be a blessing.